Thank you for listening to Christian Family Church Podcast. Here at CFC, our mission is to live and communicate the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. From wherever you're listening, we hope you'll be encouraged by this week's message. Thanks, guys. These guys hopped out and you may be seated. So good to come together as his people and, and celebrate who he is and celebrate what he's done. So awesome to hear the kids out there popping balloons again. Um, <laughs> it's good to be together. And for those of you who couldn't be with us here this morning, uh, trust that you feel a part of us online this morning. If you've got to isolate or if you just can't be here, we just uh, thank you for joining us online. And you know what? If you, if you can, at uh, or in let's say 20 minutes time, thereabouts-ish, when I finish. Uh, if you can jump in the car and come down and have a coffee with us afterwards, still come down and have a coffee and just catch up. Uh, I really want to encourage you to, to join with us for that fellowship time between the services and catch up with people from the second service and catch up with one another. Um, so good to, to have fellowship together. Amen? Amen? Amen. You're here, of course. You think so. That's good. Well, this morning we are going to begin a brand new series for 2022 and it's called, What on Earth Am I Here For? Now, hopefully you're not thinking that as you're sitting right in your seat right now, that you're, th- you're not thinking, what on earth am I here for right now in this moment? Hopefully that's not what you're thinking. Um, but what on earth am I here for? I wonder if you've ever had a day when you're thinking as you've woken up or you're doing something and you're just thinking, what on earth am I here for? What is the point to my life? You don't have to raise your hand if you've had that feeling because I know I have, and probably most of us have at some point in our life. But over these next eight weeks or so, we're going to be looking at this question of what on earth am I here for? And I believe God's going to clarify, God's going to refocus our lives on the things that matter for us as followers of Christ. As people, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, and you're thinking, what on earth am I here for? I believe there's some answers for you for that question over the coming weeks. And today... Today, though, the title of my message is God has a purpose for my life. You turn to the person beside you and say, God has a a purpose for my life. If those masks are really thick, or you're just really, really quiet. Now, turn to the person beside you and say, God has a a purpose for your life. Now, hopefully, by the end of the service... You'll actually believe what you just said. (laughs) Um, If you didn't already believe it, hopefully you will by the end of the service. How about we just pray before we open God's Word together this morning. God, we just thank you for your Word. We thank you, God, that you have not left us alone, but you have sent your Spirit to empower us, to lead us, to guide us. And God, we thank you for your Word that is alive and active. We thank you for the power of your Word to speak to our hearts, to to mould us and shape us, to, to sand off those rough edges of our lives and to, to refocus our lives as we open your word and, and see who you are and see who we are. And God, that you would reveal to us your plans, that you would reveal to us what your spirit is saying to us today, Lord, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bible there, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you're familiar with the book of Luke, you'll know that Luke 15 is the lost chapter, not as in it's missing, but everything in Luke 15 is missing. 
Um, it's the lost coin, the lost sheep, lost son. And we're going to read from verse 11 of Luke 15. It says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Which I've got to say was such a dishonorable thing to say to his father. It's as if you're dead, I want what you've got now. Seriously, that's what it was like saying to his father. But his father, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father sent, said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and, now, and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I think it was like that first service after COVID and like we came together for the very first time and there was balloons and, and, and celebration and the party began. It's like every Sunday should be. Because the lost know we've got a saviour. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. But now he is found. What an awesome God we have. Now God has a purpose for every single one of our lives. But I wonder as you think about the two sons, I wonder as you think about the, the older son, the younger son, which one of those sons do you think was living out their God-ordained purpose for their life? 
I would say none of them. I would say neither of them were living out what God had for them. Neither of them were living in what God had for them and, and had the joy and the peace and the, the blessing of joyfully following his way. You know, we can allow all kinds of things in our life to drive us. We can allow fun to be the driver of our life. We can allow adventure to be the driver of our life, achievement, approval, fame, fortune, pleasure. We can allow those things to become the driving force of our life. And then there's the more subtle things, guilt, shame, pride, those subtle things that we allow to, to rule our life because I've got to do this or what will they think of me or if I, if I don't do this, if I don't join, join in with the crowd, what will I look like to those people? We can allow guilt, we can allow shame, we can allow achievement, any of these things to become the driving force of our life. And here in Luke 15, we see the younger brother, he wants his inheritance now. And he, he gets it and he goes wild. He's partying, he's sleeping around and he's doing all these things, wasting all his father's inheritance. Why? Because he'd made fun, he'd made adventure, he'd made pleasure the driving force of his life. And you know, sometimes the things that are blessings for us, the things that God has given us that are good and like God wants us to have pleasure, God wants us to have fun but they're not called to be the driving force of our life. And when he makes fun and pleasure and, and these things he's chasing after and wasting all of this money, when he goes and chases after those things as the driving force of his life, he crashes and burns. It's a little bit like trying to steer the car with the stereo, like you're driving down the road at 100 k's an hour and you're trying to steer the car with the volume knob. It's like the stereo is a great part of the car. It makes the ride more fun. Who likes music in the car? Who has a good sing-along in the car? And then forgets the windows are open. No, um, like the, the stereo is a great part of the car, but it's not meant to be the steering of the car. And fun and joy and pleasure and these things, it's great to have them in the car, but it's never to be the driving force behind the wheel. And then there's the older brother. He's been working hard. He's been doing all the right things. He never once refuses to do one thing that his father has commanded him to do. I feel like he's got a bit of a checklist in his mind of all those things that he didn't really want to do, maybe, and he did them anyway. And then we hear that the, sons, the other brothers come home and we hear his heart because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. The, the mouth reveals what's in the heart. And we see that the driving force of his life is it doesn't seem to be joy. It doesn't seem to be the, the, the desire to, to honour his father. But it seems like he's trying to earn his father's approval. He's trying to earn just one goat that he can have a bit of fun with his friends. Maybe there's a little bit of fear of missing out. It's like he's doing all the right stuff, but I wish I'd gone off with my brother maybe. Maybe actually his heart isn't where he's actually been. Maybe he's living out of guilt or pride. Maybe he's like, I'm doing all the right stuff. I should be the favoured son. He doesn't deserve it. I'm the one who did it all. And he's got this superiority complex. I want to ask us this morning, what's the driving force in our life? What's in the driving seat of your life? 
What's the thing that motivates you to do what you do, whether it be good, bad, or otherwise? What's the motivating force in your life? I'm not sure if you've heard the saying that's going around at the moment. If you read the paper, if you listen to any sort of media, you probably have heard this phrase recently, the great resignation. And basically it's a term that is describing this pattern that's emerging all around the world of people quitting their jobs in numbers never before seen. People are quitting jobs have had for years and years and years and over the last 12 months, two years, so many people have, have left their jobs, left their workplace. They've gone through COVID lockdowns, they've gone through all the stuff that's been happening the last couple of years. Maybe you're one of them. And they've kind of looked around at their life, they've reassessed their values and the things that are, uh, are important to them and they've decided, you know what, I don't want to be in this job for the rest of my life. Maybe it's people who have been working 70, 80, 90 hours a week and they're saying, you know what, I'd rather not have a, a, a holiday overseas every year, I actually want to spend some time with my family. And there's been this whole weighing up of values, which I think, got to, to be honest, is, is a wonderful thing. And, and people searching and saying, what is my faith in? What is my, what is my purpose? And God help us as his people to be able to speak into that for them. But there are so many things that can drive us in our lives. You know, routine can drive us. We just do what we do because it's what we've always done. We can allow busyness to drive us. We can allow so many things to drive us. Point number one I want to make this morning, to be a follower of Christ is to let him into the driver's seat. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, it's Christ who lives in me. If it's no longer I who live, who's steering the car? It's Christ who lives in me. It's his life. I want to live for his glory. I want to be directed by him. He is to be the driving force of our life. If we call ourselves Christians, followers of the way, followers of the Christ. We're going to be following the lead of the driver who is Christ. Let's invite him in. But you know what? Here's the awesome, great news about that. God doesn't drive us like a hammer driving a nail. He doesn't belt us over the head and, and force us into submission. He's not like a golf club. Have we got any golfers here? Um, People that can get anywhere near par. I'm like double par anyway. Um, but you get a golf club and you, you drive the ball. But it's just pure force that makes that ball go, not necessarily where you want it to go, but where the driver wants it to go. And uh, God doesn't lead us like that. The word drive means to guide, to control or direct. And God wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to direct you by his love. You know, he calls us to lead us into the life that he has for us, to, to lead us into salvation, to lead us into the fullness of life that he has for us. When we come to salvation, when we recognize our sin, it's by the drawing of the Holy Spirit, it's by the guiding of the Holy Spirit that leads us into salvation. Find forgiveness and new life, and God wants to continue to lead and to guide us in that journey. Have a listen to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. There we are. And in this chapter, Paul's been talking about their, their new life in Christ and how 
their roots need to grow down deep into the Word of God. And he says in verse 16, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon celebrations or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ the head of the body. God help us if we, we are in that place or know someone who is. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ. If you've given your life to Christ, you have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. You know, God has called us to a new life. The old life is gone, the new life has come. And, and we're not to be ruled and driven by fear and guilt. We're not to be driven by fear of someone else's approval or not approval. We're not to be driven by a sense of shame of the things that we've done because those things have been dealt with on the cross. We're not to live by the don'ts. We're not to be people, like the main word of Christianity should not be don't do these things. It should be come, follow Christ. On the, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. It's finished. And the message of the cross is not now, so don't do this, so don't do that, so don't do this. As we look to the cross, as we set our sights on the realities of heaven, as we set our hearts, our minds on the things above, when we look to the, the beauty, the wondrous love of God, our hearts it's no longer about, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's about, God, help me live for your glory. It's, God, I want to I wanna live for you. It's all done through the cross, but I want to live my life for your glory. It's not about, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. It's about, God, I want to live for you. To be a follower of Christ is to let him into the driver's seat. And Paul goes on explaining what it looks like not being greedy for things in this world, but aiming for purity, for kindness, humility, showing the love of God. Point number two I want to make today, heaven is our home. If you know Jesus as your saviour, heaven is your home. We are aliens on this earth, the Bible says. We are, we are foreigners living on this earth because this world is full of sin and corruption and decay. But if we're raised with Christ, we're, we are no longer citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. Heaven is our home, but we must know 
God's calling for us today. You know, um, have you ever got lost? You knew where you were going, but then you didn't get there. We need to know the steps that we are called to take today so that we do not get lost, so that we do not lose focus on the truth of who Christ is, so that we do not drift and fall away as some do. If you've ever been driving in Melbourne with someone and you've disagreed on the directions, anyone had that happen before? No, don't, don't, don't put your hand up, don't look at, don't give it in the eye, don't give it in the elbow. It's, um, uh, you, can, you can know where you're going, but uh, sometimes our, our ideas of directions are slightly different. Uh, and you've got, to, you've got to know where you're going before you head off. Uh, I remember this one time I was in Melbourne with a, a, a friend. It wasn't Rochelle, it was someone else. Um, sorry, I should say it was, a, it was a, a mate of mine. We were on the way to... Anyway, <laughs> um, we're in Melbourne and we're driving. This is the old days of the Melways. Who remembers Melways? It's like, were they good or bad? I'm not quite sure. There's parts of it I loved. Anyway, Google Maps is good, but we've got the Melways there and he's driving along. He's navigating for me and uh, we're driving along. We're finally getting to where we've got to go. We pull up and I look around and I'm like, mate, this is not where we are supposed to be. He's like, but it says on the map, this is where we're meant to be. Uh, and I'm like, give me the map. Let me, let me look at this map. And he showed me where he's navigating us to. And I'm like, Mate, that is not the place we're meant to be going to. It's kind of, he's found this empty space of land and thought that was where the church was we were going to. And uh, actually it was about two k's away from where we were, so it wasn't too bad. But we've got to know where we're going before we can try and get there. And today, when you get out of bed, tomorrow when you get out of bed, where are we aiming for? Where are we going with our life? Who's directing our life? You know what? Sometimes there's different ways to go to the same place. You know the best way to get lost? Trust someone's directions half of their way and then try and do your own. It's like um, in Melbourne and, and you're driving along a freeway and then someone says, oh, there's a back way, but you didn't take the exit they said. You, you try and get across to their way after you've gone halfway your own way and it just all goes pear-shaped. Or you're going, you trust their directions for a little while and then you're like, actually, I think I know a better way. But then you get lost because you don't even know where you are anymore. You know what? I think sometimes we do that with Christ. We, we hear God's call to come follow Him. Come surrender your life to Him. We give our lives to Christ. We, we, we start following Him. But then we see other people who claim to be followers of Christ and they're doing this and they're doing that. And they're doing this other thing, and you're thinking, but I thought we weren't allowed to do that anymore. Well, I, I thought, God, you said you didn't want me to do that, but they're doing that, and they look like they're having fun. And to be honest, I think we get a bit of older brother syndrome. We either just keep doing what we're supposed to do, and we're like, we're doing the right thing. And we start sucking lemon juice and look a little sour. Or sometimes we just go, you know what? I've been living for God, but I'm going to do a bit of what they're doing because it looks like fun. But church, let's not go to like the lowest common denominator of what we can get away with in God. That is not the calling of God. That is not the blessing of God. Last week we talked about aim for purity. There are blessings in purity. You know what? God might, God might not have spoken to that person about that thing they're doing right now. But if he's spoken to your heart, if you know that thing is wrong, do not do what God has called you not to do. 
God has a purpose for every single one of us. What if you've ever headed off on a, a, a drive somewhere and maybe it's like a two, four, five, ten hour drive and uh, you realise as you're heading out of town, actually as I go to Adelaide, there's a couple of towns we go through on the way to Adelaide and every time I'm like, are we meant to go that way or are we meant to go that way? And it was this one particular time I was um, riding my bike for, out of Brisbane on the way to Melbourne and um, we got to this spot and there was three freeways and there's a bunch of us there and the guy who was organising the trip wasn't with us and there's three freeways and we're just leaving Brisbane and I'm thinking, okay, none of us knows which one to take. We've got a problem because <laughs> you're starting the journey but to get to the destination is a process of making the right little steps and if we took the wrong road, it was going to be a big detour and when you're riding your bike that far, you don't want to go to big detour. You know, the truth is, sometimes God allows us to go the long way. Sometimes he allows us to go the scenic route, and we're thinking, God, what is going on? What's the, what's, the, what's the deal, God? I thought you were sending me on this path, but why am I here? And it can be a frustrating time. It can be a, a difficult time. To be honest, in my own life, as an 18-year-old, I'd known God for a few years, since I was 14, was that, four years? I'd uh, been living for God, but as an 18-year-old, I... The whole way through school, I was the, the, the kid who was kind of motivated and knew what he wanted to do when he finished his school. Uh, I, was, I was motivated, and I was working my way through school and, and did well in school. And then I went to Papua New Guinea on a two-week missions trip. And I came back from that trip and God had totally refocused my life. It, on that trip, I, I, I saw these people who came to a knowledge of the love of God and had nothing physically, but they had the joy of the Lord as their strength. And I thought, that is what I want to work to bring into people's life for the rest of my life. That's what I want to do. And I came back and I, I, I kind of got angry with God. Because for years I'd been kind of planning out my future, thinking this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to do this next, I'm going to do that next. And, and I got back and I, I, I lost all direction. I thought, God, where am I meant to go next? What am I meant to do? And in my frustration, I actually sat down and I wrote down a 50-year plan. This is what I can do. <laughs> and I'm giving you some insight into the mind of Andrew, but anyway. Um, you know what the really interesting thing is? I believe God gives us a new heart with new and right desires. And even though God led my life in a totally different direction to what I wrote down that day in that plan, I found it a few years ago, and I looked through that list, and nearly everything I'd written down God had led me to be able to do. And I was just in awe of God's ability to lead us on the scenic route. Actually, I'll just put in brackets. The one thing I think was the gold medal at the Olympics. I didn't get that. That, that was a, like, let's just cross that one off. Um, that was a bit of selfish ambition. Um, you know, I'd got to minister in schools. I'd got to share the love of God with people. I'd got to have an amazing family and, and get to know an amazing wife. And... Uh, Sometimes we go through frustrating seasons where we feel like, what on earth am I doing here? But God has a plan in your life. God has a purpose. And maybe even you feel like you're, you're, you're following the steps God's leading you to today, but you feel like it's just going nowhere. I want to tell you, God is glorified in your obedience in that step you're taking today. 
even if it feels like it's just leading you nowhere, if you're being obedient in that little step, God is honoured in that little step. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Got a little lost in my notes, but that's okay. Uh, Ephesians four, uh, 2, verse 4. says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit from this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can. You know, it's a privilege. It's an honour. It's an opportunity so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. One last scripture I want to read from Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, Do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how, how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I love that last line. It's just kind of like... Don't worry about tomorrow. I want to ask you this morning, where is your focus? Where's your focus? What's your eyes on? 
What are we allowing our eyes to be drawn to? What is our focus on? Because that's the desires of our heart will be. What's your goal? What's your vision? What's the driving force behind your life? You know, any great plan, any amazing feat, any, any big goal is made up of lots of little choices. Every big goal. And I was watching the, the final of the tennis last night. Anyone watch the final of the tennis? I saw about the last three points, I think. You know, to, to, to become a great athlete. Um, I was out riding with someone who, who rode the Melbourne to Warrnambool um, a few times just recently and, and I was talking about the, just the doing the little things well. You get the right sleep, you eat the right things, you do the right training. And Ash Barty, you're like, you know, she gets the, 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 the forehand just worked out, just doing the simple things well. The overhead lob. I picked up some terms last night. <laughs> Any big goal is made up of lots of little choices. And if we want to live for the glory of God, that sounds like such an amazing thing. And it's made up of lots of amazing little choices. If we want to live for the glory of God, choose to honour God in the little things. If you want to honour God with your life, choose to honour Him in the little things, in the little choices you make today, in the little things you have to do today. Ask God. Talk to him in the moments of your day. Talk to him and say, God, how do you want to use me in this moment? God, where are you leading me in this moment? Day by day, moment by moment. As we drive to work, as I've talked before about how as we drive to school with the kids, as, a, as we drive, we know there's a certain point where Andrew, Andrew starts praying, Dad starts praying. Uh, and let's, let's set up patterns of prayer in our life to remind us to talk to God as we... Before we eat, you know, grace to me is about an opportunity to remind us to pray. It's not that we get our hands whacked if we don't pray grace before we eat food. Do you know that? It's not like you'll be, you'll be not blessed if you don't say grace. But it's an opportunity to give thanks. Let's find patterns of that in our life. Let's open his word. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, we've got some copies of a 2022 Bible reading plan. And it's not like five chapters a day, this one. It's like today's one is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 to 21, 10 verses. Might take you two minutes to stop. Actually, I reckon that soap thing should start with stop. Stop, read scripture. Observe, what does it say? How can I apply this to my life? And pray, praise God. Commit to meeting together. I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a life group, I really want to encourage you to think about joining a life group during this year. I'm so grateful that so many of us are already part of life groups and through COVID that was, um, I would say, a lifesaver that uh, many of us were part of life groups already and really want to encourage you to come together around His Word. And over the next eight weeks or so, we're going to continue to look at what is God's plans? What is his purpose for us as, as people? How can we live out God's plans for our life? And I believe God is going to refocus our vision. Last year, we finished the year off by talking about back to the future. I believe as we start this year, God wants to refine our vision, burn up the things that aren't of him, and say, God, what is it you're calling us to as your people? I'm going to ask the band to come, and we're going to finish off. I'm just going to read two quotes as they come. Actually, I might read it off there, I think. First one from John Wesley. Whoops, no, I won't read it off there. I'll read it off here. 
John Wesley said this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire, nothing but God, and I cannot, whether they be clergy or laymen, they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. And when you read preachers, I want to suggest just people, 100 people completely sold out to God's plans and purposes for their life, and they will shake the gates of hell. I want to ask, will you be part of that 100 people? Will you be a person who completely surrenders every aspect of your life to see the kingdom of God impact this city, this earth? Will you be one of those 100 people? Oswald Chambers, another famous